You're listening to Open Up the Wall, Revelations of a Renovation Contractor. Now, this is what they call a, quote, inspirational memoir. It's about my career change from award-winning actor to the owner of my own construction company. It's definitely a memoir, and throughout the 14 episodes of this podcast, you're going to meet some wonderful characters on both sides of the tool belt. This podcast is an edited version of the 27-chapter book of the same title, and it's available in e-form or hard copy. You can find out more about the book and about me, the author, Jeff Bowes, on my website, www.openupthewall.com. Feel free to leave any questions or comments you may have. I'd love to hear from you. Now, this episode gets poetic, and then it gets funny, and then it's over. Yeah, this is the last episode in the podcast. So, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you've been entertained, and I really hope that by now you've got some insight into life in the trades. Because I suppose that's why I took the time to write the book. But to tell you the truth, I'll never be sure why. It just happened to me. Anyway, here it is. Episode the last, Going South. So how old are you? Asked Rick. I said, I'm 62. Holy fuck! I had no idea. Are you on Viagra? <sighs> the best present that I got for my 10th birthday was a picture book called Greek Mythology. The Adonis and Aphrodite myth was preceded by an amateurish painting of a handsome, muscular youth, deeply tanned with severe aquamarine eyes and blonde hair blowing in the wind. At his feet sprawled a big-breasted Aphrodite looking up at him with hearts coming out of her eyes. When I first met Rick, I was startled by his resemblance to the Adonis painting. Whenever we were together, I was aware of women watching him, but I never teased him about it because Rick could turn on you. Today, he was all smiles at the chance meeting of me and Stan at the Home Depot parking lot. The clouds were in high-definition contrast against the bright blue sky, but it wasn't crisp enough for a jacket, so Stan bought us coffee, and the three of us sat on the tailgate of my truck, swinging our legs and catching up on each other's summer. Rick was a licensed carpenter, easily half my age, but I had been in awe of his meticulous work as a cabinet maker from the beginning, and I was always quick to volunteer as his lackey whenever he showed up on the same job as Stan and I. Once early on, I made a point of thanking him for all the woodworking fundamentals that he had taught me. You learn from the best, because I learn from the best, he said. Now you have to keep up with me and Stan and keep getting better, or we'll set you up with a fuck-it-that'll-do crew. How lucky that Jeffrey had fallen in with men who took pride in their work, who paid attention to detail and were, above all, honest. And how awful to think that it could have gone the other way. And naive Jeffrey could have fallen in with a fuck-it-that'll-do crew. I fought the urge to tell them how much I liked them. Geese were honking overhead, and I watched groups of men across the parking lot pause their loading of materials to watch the noisy birds practice getting into their V formation. 
Perhaps 20 men looked to the sky, shielding their eyes from the sun with their hands, watching the flight rehearsal. And then a self-conscious cheer came from the crowd when the geese finally got it right and flew out of sight. This little gap in our lives lasted less than a minute. We all watched the event, felt something amazing, and then went back to our realities. Concrete block thumped into vans, lumber slapped into pickups, male voices filled the air, laughing, shouting, moaning, and groaning. I put on my glasses to see their faces. Some looked as old as me, some looked happier than me, some looked angrier, some cooler. There were young men limping and middle-aged men coughing. To neither one in particular, I asked, What's going to happen to all these guys? <sighs> they're all going to have heart attacks right here in the fucking parking lot because they're too fucking old to be working, Rick shouted at me. Jesus, Jeff, you're worried so much. Just shut the fuck up. Stan had been present years earlier when Rick's father called his son a useless piece of shit. Rick had been dealing with his anger and self-esteem issues ever since I had known him. Well, that's a big question, I said. You think about it. We don't have mandatory retirement. We don't have company pensions giving us incentive to retire after 30 years. Nobody is going to organize a celebration and give us a gold watch, wish us good luck in the future. So what's going to happen to us? What do we do? Pick a random day and say, I quit, and then sell our tools the next day? Or is something going to happen and we just won't feel like going to work anymore? I feel that way now, said Rick. I'll stop when I have to have my knees replaced, said Stan. I got a few years yet. I'll be about your age by then. Yeah, so the decision will be made for you. Well, I think you're making too much of it right now. You're in good shape, except for your neck. And your finger. Yeah, I know. I only think about it when I'm sore, I said. And when my wife watches me, like the way I get out of a chair, the way I climb stairs, I feel guilty about messing with my future because I'm messing with hers, too. And then we all sat in silence, watching the sky. Stan massaged his knee. I did neck rolls. And then a subcompact car began to pull into the parking space beside my truck, right under the sign that said, Contractor Parking. Rick sprang from the tailgate and stepped into the path of the little car. He banged on the hood and shouted at the windshield, The sign says Contractor Parking! You're not a fucking contractor! Now we need these spaces for loading our material, so get the fuck out! And your stupid fucking cardigan, get the fuck out! We watched as a little car backed out and drove away. Rick ambled back to the truck, fixing his gaze on Stan and me. Then he took an elaborate bow. You're welcome, he said. I mean, somebody's got to keep the civilians out of here, right? Stan and I muttered embarrassed thank yous. You're welcome, he said dramatically. Hey, Jeff, why don't you go inside and offer to be the Home Depot parking attendant? They hire lots of old washed-up contractors. The owls are full of them. Perfect, said Stan. I could panhandle at the entrance in my wheelchair and you could run me off the property. How about the sex trade, Rick offered. You could make lots of money off all those broads moaning over guys in tool belts. As I looked at Rick, it hit me hard that if I were to walk away from this business, I would never see him again. Life would never offer up such extraordinary characters outside of this work environment.
We sat in silence again, and then I said, you know, Stan, since I started working as a contractor, I just don't see me the way I always saw me. I have a completely different image of myself. Well, it's bound to happen from actor to renovator. Yeah, bound to happen. Now, it goes deeper than that. I can't think of any job where I could see the smile on someone's face and then I hear them say, I love it and thank you and even give me a hug sometimes, all because of something I, I did. That's, that's what changes a person. Rick sighed and put on his sunglasses. Jesus Christ, you sound like a fucking Care Bear. Well, what do you expect, demanded Stan. His mother abandoned him when he was a baby. Yeah, I said, and Stan's mother wrecked Christmas. We need to feel the love. Well, my dad smacked me around a lot, countered Rick. But you don't hear me talking like you guys. You guys are fucking weird. But you still love us, right? Rick struck the God-give-me-strength pose. Arms open, eyes rolled heavenward. Kiss my ass, you fucking has-beens. And we watched him go. The most down-to-earth psychopath I ever met, I said. If you wind down, what will you do with your repeat clients? You going to cut them loose? Asked Stan. Jeez, I hadn't thought about them. You can have them if you want them. Some of them depend on me, though, so I, I won't let those ones down. So you're talking semi-retirement? I don't know. I don't have a plan. It's just at this point, I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine the finale. Oh, yeah, I think about it, too. Anyway, gotta go. Walking to the recycling bin with the coffee cups, I watched one of the laces on my worn-down boots slowly come undone. Every day I wore work boots. Every day I ate a sandwich with dirty hands, sitting amongst my small fortune of tools. My truck always had material in the back, destined for greatness in somebody else's home. I was the opposite of what I had been brought up to be, and that made me very happy. In that sense, I had fulfilled a dream. I remember Greg, with his crooked grin and his tongue-in-cheek pronouncement, it's all about people helping people. And I remembered how Stan and I had laughed. Then walking back in my truck, I saw Stan's van. I could see his face in the side mirror. You spying on me, I asked. Yeah, I'm worried that your anxiety about your future is severe enough that you will try and take your own life. He got out of his van, made the usual three or four tries before the door shut properly. Listen, I can't read how serious you are about stopping, he said. You're being such a drama queen about your future that I don't know if I should even bring this up, but I got a big one lined up. A second floor bedroom turns into a huge bathroom and the existing bathroom turns into an office and there's lots of custom woodwork, floor to ceiling closets, shelves, shoe racks. I'm in, I said. What, just like that? Yeah, just like that. And just like that, I was excited again. And we did the job. We had a lot of fun with the sub-trades as they came and went. And we all drank beer after work. And we talked about our kids and our portfolios. And sometimes we talked about what else we could do with our lives before we died. Just like we always did. When the job was over, and I had humped the 614 pounds of tools back down in my basement, Dixie and I toured Holland. And then we canoed Lake Superior. I sold a few tools just to make some room in the truck. Rick developed carpal tunnel syndrome, so he took a job teaching carpentry at a community college. 
In his first semester, he was called before the dean and told to stop using expletives. His response was that this was normal speech in the trades, and if they didn't like it, they could go fuck themselves. He remains on faculty. And Ken went to jail for some parole violation. It was something to do with a knife fight. But none of us even knew he was on parole or what for. Phil's body type made him prone to back injury. So when it started to act up after helping me carry drywall through a snow-covered backyard and down the stairs to a basement reno, he quit and started a painting company. Jimmy's wife got a job, so he was able to slow down a bit and only do work for his friends. Silvano and his beloved wife spent half their time at their farm in Italy, leaving George to run the business. Without fail, we all get together when he's in town, and every Christmas they bring me a present. Stan got in touch with his agent again and started getting work on TV in the older man roles. And after 20 years of helping other people, I finally got down to working on my own houses. The stairs don't squeak anymore. The rotting deck is replaced. And at last, the kitchen has a new ceiling. So I still spend a lot of time and money at Home Depot. But I don't park in contractor parking anymore. Thank you.